Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The, our tendency around subtle acts of exclusion, it tends to overlay pretty neatly with where we have unconscious biases. By and large, and you know, I've told you this before, we, we people generally identify as good people and they don't think that they're running around just causing harm. And that is how unconscious bias, you know, they're, they're pernicious and they, it just kind of rears its ugly head. People are on autopilot, they say things, they do things. And the subtle acts of exclusion tend to be linked to where your unconscious biases lie. So, you know, right now, a very, a very live example is people who are running away from or moving to the other side of the street when they see an Asian person, right? When the, when COVID first started, people were, you know, behaving in this way towards folks of Asian descent because they assumed that they had the coronavirus or something, right? So this is a a subtle act of exclusion based on someone's bias, conscious or unconscious, that that this person might be carrying. How you day, how you day. Those were the words of Dr. Tiffany Janner. They have been here multiple times on the show and they've expressed their various amazing insight on the podcast. But this episode, this episode was probably my favorite of theirs just because they introduced a new term. Or is it? Now, they introduced a remix to a traditional term that has been used in the DEI circles, the diversity, equity, and inclusion circles. They believe that subtle acts of exclusion should replace microaggressions. And they explain it throughout the podcast. My hope is that as you're listening to them, you're understanding the process of separating the idea of you being a good person and understanding how participating in a bad system doesn't really care about how good you are of a person and more about how fervent you are about dismantling a system of oppression. They end the podcast with expressing how creatives can dive into what is their unique gifts. We're in a time where we need more beautiful creations. And I believe Dr. Janice's message at the end is the right kick in the butt that we all need. Enjoy the episode. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of As Told by Nomads, and today's guest is Dr. Tiffany Janner. They've been a guest on the show multiple times, as you can see if you are an avid listener of the podcast, but I'm excited about their book, which is called Subtle Acts of Exclusion, How to Understand, Identify, and Stop Microaggressions. Now, Tiffany is a prolific writer prolific creator. She's the CEO of TMI Portfolio, a collection of companies working to advance inclusive workplaces. As TMI consultant, she's been you know, recognized 
for so many, many awards and, and including 2018 Best for World B Corporation. Jana is also the co-author of Overcoming Bias, second edition of B Corp and Book. And with her co-author, Dr. Michael Barron, they're now the author of the new book, Subtle Acts of Exclusion, How to Understand, Identify, and Stop Microaggressions. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me again. I feel like an old friend now. <laughs> the pleasure is mine. And a lot of things have gone on since, obviously, your last book. I mean, you've consolidated the company. Mm-hmm. You've written more books. Mm-hmm. And even gone deeper into this idea of bias. Because I, I remember when we first had you on the show, we were talking about unconscious bias. And then we talked about the B core. But then... What led you down the path of writing about microaggressions? So Michael Barron, my co-author, and I met at a an industry conference, the Forum on Workplace Inclusion, many years ago, and we collaborated on some uh, diversity-based work. And we were having a conversation about this idea that uh, microaggressions as a term, as a construct, were kind of problematic. And Michael had not written a book yet and wanted to write a book. And I love finding new authors that haven't written and (laughs) collaborating with them. So I was like, let me, you know, let's write a book together. Let's do this. And we we realized that we have both had this this thought that the term microaggressions is problematic. We wanted to rebrand it, to call it something else. Because just like when you call someone a racist, no one says, oh, my gosh, thank you so much for calling me a racist. I want to learn and grow from this place. Tell me more about my racism. When you talk about microaggressions, and certainly when someone is, you know, is accused of committing one, it's not a very welcoming term. In, term, right? It's not. It's not welcoming nomenclature. So we thought that subtle acts of exclusion was a better way to phrase what is a phenomenon that all of us engage in. Right? They are subtle. They are acts of exclusion. It's either the words or the things that we do that push people to the margins, often without meaning to. I mean, many microaggressions, many subtle acts of exclusion, or SAE for short, are masked underneath a compliment, right? Yeah. That, the whole yeah. thing of uh, what a black person so articulate, right? That's a compliment. Yeah. I'm saying a nice yeah. thing. <laughs> so we wanted to, um, we wanted to kind of pull the, the veil back behind that. And at the time that we wrote the book and, and pitched the concept, there was no book on the market uh, with this focus. Well, what role does unconscious bias then play in SAE or subtle acts of uh, exclusion? I actually love that term, subtle acts of exclusion. Thank so, you. Yeah. yeah, it's they are related because the our tendency around subtle acts of exclusion, it tends to overlay pretty neatly with where we have unconscious biases. By and large, and you know, I've told you this before, we we people generally identify as good people and they don't think that they're running around just causing harm. And that is how unconscious bias, you know, they're they're pernicious and they it just kind of rears its ugly head. People are on autopilot, they say things, they do things, and the subtle acts of exclusion tend to be linked to where your unconscious biases lie. So, you know, right now, a very, a very live example is people who are running away from or moving to the other side of the street when they see an Asian person, right? When the, when COVID first started, people were, you know, behaving in this way towards folks of Asian descent because they assumed that they had the coronavirus or something, right? So this is a, a subtle act of exclusion based on someone's bias, conscious or unconscious, that, that this person might be carrying. 
Um, so well, was that a subtle though? Was that subtle? Because that I mean, was very intentional. <laughs> exactly. So, so that, I mean, it feels very overt, but, but you can say that with any of the subtle acts of exclusion, right? When you're the woman who's being asked to go get coffee or take notes for the meeting for the umpteenth time, it doesn't feel subtle to you. It's an overt act of sexism, but to the person that's doing it, oh, it's not that big a deal. Just someone needed to take notes. So I picked Catherine, right? So yes, if you're on the receiving end and if you are woke to these issues, they don't seem so subtle. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I, one of the reasons I was, I was questioning that is because regardless of where you stand on the political side of things, what's mm -hmm. happened when this COVID started happening, where we've heard a president refer to this as the Chinese virus, mm -hmm. or we've heard, you know, people, you know, say this comes from this. So that's what I meant by that, because a lot of times people will be like, well, that, that doesn't seem subtle. It seems like you're telling mm -hmm. me that I'm the reason for this. Exactly. And, and yeah, so so it's interesting, but then that then presents this thing where a lot of people who don't want to be performative are wondering how they can help, and then mm -hmm. the people that are experiencing SAE, for those that are still listening, it's subtle acts of exclusion, which is going to replace microaggressions from now on. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for those that are uh, experiencing it, how can they speak up? You know, how can the people witnessing it talk about it, and how can people speak up? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, well, I want to go back to what you said before, because with every example of microaggression, somebody can always find some, you know, causal link. Right. So for the guy who tells the woman to go and get the thing, they're going to say, oh, well, you know, women are just so much more nurturing or Catherine's taken notes before uh, for, you know, for the person who clutches their purse and moves across the street when they see a black man walking by. Well, you know, you, you, we know from the news that black people are more likely to do this and that. And people are always going to be able to justify their biases when yeah. they're thinking about them. And my argument is that's the thing is we're not actually thinking about the bias. We're responding to the impulse based on the unconscious bias when we go back and try to justify it later. We just dig the hole deeper. So um, that that's what I would say on that. As far as speaking up. Um, this is a great opportunity. We, we hear so much about allies and co-conspirators and white allies and you know queer allies, et cetera. This is a great space for allies to really strut their stuff, right? So how can you serve? How can you help your, your fellow human? Well, be an ally. You don't have to be the one who was offended to speak up in support of what you know is right. And it is, it is very difficult if you're the person who has been on the receiving end of a subtle act of exclusion. It's so hard for you to speak up because when it happens, you know, your limbic brain is, is triggered, your animal brain is triggered, and you're not really able to respond in a non-emotional and rational way. So allies are really powerful in this space because they can say, you know, if it's a man in that office meeting, they can say, you know what, I'll actually go get the coffee. Go ahead and have a seat, Catherine. Thanks so much. Um, or someone can call out the person and just say, you know, why, why are we asking Catherine to get the coffee? You know, does anybody else want to volunteer? Does anybody want to, you know, want to choose to go? Um, so being an ally in that space is really powerful. If you are the person and you want to speak up or you are, you know, feeling like you need to, my, the first advice is definitely give yourself a moment to get yourself back into your rational brain. So all that good advice that grandma gave you, you know, count to 10, take a deep breath, go for a walk. You want to get distance between the incident and you because your ability to be calm and rational and graceful in that moment is going to be limited. Then after you've had uh, given it a little bit of distance, you know, the first thing we want to do is recognize that by and large, again, people think that they are good people and often 
they don't realize that they're doing it. So if you give that person a little bit of grace and assume uh, a good intent, give them the benefit of the doubt, you can say things like, hey, you may not be aware of this, but um, you know, asking the nearest woman to take notes or go to coffee, you know, can be seen as offensive. Um, if you know the person well, or you have some kind of an ongoing relationship, you, you can leverage the, the legs in that relationship. And actually, you know, that, that person might have a little bit more compassion because they do know you, or they have to continue relating with you in the office or wherever. And then you can actually personalize it and you can say, Hey, you know, I know that you probably didn't mean anything by it, but I need to let you know. Um, that, you know, you, you saw my presentation and you called me articulate, you might not want to use that term, uh, with people of color because historically it's got some problematic connotations and I can, we can talk about this more, but I just wanted to let you know, because we're friends and I know that you don't mean any harm. So whether, whatever side of this you're on, whether you're being called out, whether you are the person who has been, uh, microaggressed, whatever the case may be, grace is to me like the big headline takeaway. We need to have grace for ourselves and we need to have grace for each other because, you know, when it happens to me, if I'm like, Psh, what is wrong with you? Don't you know, this is 2020. Why are you calling me, a, you know, why are you calling me articulate? I'm a black woman. What's wrong with you? Right. Um, yeah. that's not going to win any friends. That's not going to, that's, that is not going to help anyone grow. And, you know, and when it's you, like I'm a whole diversity expert and I mess up all the time. This book is filled with examples of how Michael and I, as diversity experts, still also mess up. But we have grace for ourselves because we recognize that, you know, this is not there is no appendectomy. There's no cutting out of our isms and making us microaggression and subtle act of exclusion proof. It is a hygiene metaphor that we use. If you don't wash your stinky butt and brush your teeth every day, you and the people around you, so is the work of inclusion. If you're going to become culturally fluent, then don't look, think of it as a burden. Don't think of it as something, you know, why do I have to be so sensitive to other people's needs? Look, if you're a good human being, then you don't want your unconscious biases to be causing harm everywhere you go. You don't want your stinky, stinky bias to be offending the nearest nose around you. You want to take that time to scrub under your pits <laughs> and be intentional and thoughtful about what you say. And when you get called out, don't turn into a defensive jerk talking about, I didn't mean it. You're just too sensitive. No, you say, thank you. Thank you for being vulnerable and for sharing your perspective with me. I did not realize that that's what I had done and I'm going to try to do better. I appreciate you helping me grow. So graphic with your descriptions, uh, Dr. Jeb. Oh. <laughs> sticky, sticky pit. Look, we, we in the quarantine and everybody funky. <laughs> uh, every, every, everybody is funky. <laughs> I, I do think it's important to bring up Grace and, and uh, full disclosure for the, the audience. You know, I was uh, as I was reading Tiffany's bio, I, I was going in and out of, of pronouns. And, and Tiffany refers to as, as they them pronouns. And I. And, and I Sometimes I would say she, and I was like, yeah, and I, and I, I was, I was getting on myself, and, and and Dr. Jenna was like, it's okay, it's okay, and I was like, no, I made a made a mistake, and what I was reacting to was because of this diversity and inclusion, Monica. I was like, well, I'm supposed to be the guy that's diversity and inclusion. Here I am messing up, but you you reminded me that it's okay to have grace. It's like yes. it, it's fine, you know. It's yes. it's not like, yeah, I went there and- trying to. And I will tell your audience the same thing I told you. They, them are my preferred pronouns. I'm not offended by she and her. There are people, so I'm, I'm gender fluid, gender non-binary, and it's different for folks perhaps who are like, who are trans, who only want to identify with one or the other. And there's some non-binary people who are like, they, them, that's all you'll call me. But like, like with everything else, these things are very individualistic for me. 
Um, I love the they, them pronouns, but for me, it's very much like my honorific, right? I am Dr. Tiffany Jana. I am not going to be offended if people don't call me Dr. Jana. But when people do call me Dr. Jana, I'm like, oh, respect. Like, you see me. You, you, are, you are showing me a level of courtesy and respect. And, you know, you got, you got some time for them student loans that I'm still paying off, okay? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So, the only one that bothers me is Miss. I don't like, never liked Miss. It's just so ugh, diminutive. I just don't like it. But she doesn't actually offend me. I see my non my, my non-binary identity as I was raised Roman Catholic. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit being three in one, so easy for me to understand. I identify with the feminine. I identify with the masculine, and I identify with the the you know the neutral, the the, the fluidity in between. I also know that God lives within me. And so the they, them pronouns for me are a representation of the multitude of energies that reside in me. I honor all of them. So when I hear someone just attempt to use the they, them pronouns, that communicates that you see me. So if you use the she, her pronouns, I understand why I'm feminine presenting and I use them for 40 plus years. So I personally am not offended. It is very important that we, you know, as we build relationships with people and interact with them, find out what makes them feel respected and you can respond in those ways. Yeah, that's that's the important thing. Find out what makes them feel respected. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Okay, so we've talked about subtle acts of exclusion, what role unconscious bias plays, even how to to potentially move beyond just, uh, you know, performative allyship. One of the things that I do want to get your opinion on is on the idea of call out culture, because that can mm -hmm potentially, you know, make people feel like they need to keep some things to themselves or lose grace, as, mm -hmm. as you say. And I'm curious as, you know, I'm curious to hear your opinion on this, especially as a practitioner and someone who, you know, runs a consultant portfolio here. How do you find call-out culture in today's world uh, <laughs> when it comes to figuring out how to move past quote-unquote mistakes? <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I find it terribly problematic. I really do. Um, grace is the theme of my life. I am only here, but for the grace that, um, you know, that, that God and humanity has extended to me. And I always think about this idea of who on earth wants to be judged by forever by their worst moment, right? It's not a matter of, <clears throat> of, of whether uh, anybody gets called out or noticed in their low times. It's just a matter of when. Those of us who have not been called out, just we, we got away with it. We got away with insulting someone. We got away with that racial epithet. We got away with it because we weren't called out. So what we have to recognize, like for me, I, I really do focus my work heavily on the workplace because it's the it's the learning laboratory that I've that I've been, um, you know, doing my work in for the last many many decades. And so I like to see this as a microcosm of our world. Of course, everything that I do applies out in the real world as well. But I can give you this example for how I see it and what I would like to see in the larger world. In the context of the book, subtle acts of exclusion, we created something called the SAE accountability system, and that is. Basically, an organization go re, you know reads this book, they engage with this philosophy, and they say, okay, we're going to go ahead and just acknowledge that subtle acts of exclusion are going to happen, right? People are going to step in diversity doo-doo, and just it's going to happen. And what we're going to do here 
from the top of the organization is we're going to go ahead and 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 name we're going to articulate that when that happens we are going to hold each other accountable in a good way in a responsible way we're going to call each other in not call each other out so we create a feedback loop whereby the expectation is yeah sometimes things are going to happen and when they happen we're going to address them and we're going to deal with them and we're going to move together in grace in a good way the problem now is that they happen all the time and that behavior becomes normalized and accepted and people don't feel there's a reason people don't feel comfortable calling it out because you're scared you're going to get fired. You're scared you're going to get la- labeled the troublemaker. You're scared you're not going to get promoted because you're too sensitive, right? So we've we've been socialized and trained not to say anything because it deems us as problematic when in fact people around us, including ourselves, are being offended on a regular basis. So when you create an SAE accountability system, you say, okay, yeah, we're going to screw up, but we're going to learn and grow together. We're going to learn how to communicate, how to interact, how to educate each other, and how to respect each other by listening and being present. That's what I would like to see out in the wider world, because we're not in a day anymore where we are going to, it is no longer acceptable to force everyone to adhere to a, you know, delusional white supremacist standard, right? Professionalism, like you can't have the natural hair that grows out of your head because it's not professional. That's crazy. We're not doing that anymore. What we're saying now in the whole wide world is we recognize that there is diversity. Diversity is beautiful. Diversity is important. Diversity is valuable. And in order for us to be whole and happy and healthy humans, we have to honor that. We have to lift it up. We have to respect it. And in order for us to do that, we all have to increase our cultural fluency so that we can interact with each other with love and dignity and grace and respect. And it takes effort. That's where the hygiene comes in, right? And so what I love about the workplace is the workplace can't tell you what to think or believe, but they can absolutely dictate behavior. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And it is the biggest learning laboratory that we have outside of structured education. So instead of just giving people safety training and onboarding training, like let's provide people with the ongoing support that they need to increase their cultural fluency. We can't rely on people's good home training because heaven knows ain't everybody getting the same home training. (laughs) That's true. So if if we expect you to lead with grace and create a sense of belonging in, in your wake with every footstep, then we need to make sure that we're privileging teaching people how to embrace behaviors that may not be known to them. We cannot punish people for what they do not know. 
Absolutely. That's beautifully said. And I love that you do that because that's the same thing that I do when I'm working with companies is establishing this safe space for people to understand that it's okay to make mistakes. It's one of the interesting thing that I've noticed when I'm consulting or even doing a workshop, I, I can see the eggshells. You, you can almost mm-hmm. see, you can see if, if I'm there, you know, I'm obviously a, I'm a, a black male. And so if, if I come in there, I can sometimes see you know, people that are white reacting differently until I crack a joke or open it up and say, look, this is here. I'm not going to attack anyone here. Mm-hmm. I've, I've made mistakes and I want you to understand that if you make mistakes, you can say it as well. I'm not going to, you know, look for an opportunity for you to to say something bad. It's like uh, those, you know, those people that, that do this thing where they're waiting for you to make a mistake so they can pounce on you and then, yes. you know, make fun of you. I, I always make sure you create, I create that safe space. But then I tell the CEOs and leaders that that's what you have to do every day though. You, mm-hmm. you can't, you can't just, you know, do this on a one-time basis. And in addition to that, you have to be vulnerable when you make a mistake. There it is. Because then it's going to be easier for them to come up to you and say, Hey, you know, that time you said such and such, I didn't really feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's about that it's about that loop that you said so I, I love that you said that because i think sometimes we forget that we need to remind each other that the idea of being seen heard and understood is is a constant process it's yes. not a one-time process mm-hmm. so okay now you have 10 think before you speak questions to ask yourself to avoid carrying out saes well, what are these 10 <laughs> <laughs> well, you get, you get, if you buy the book, you can get them all. But all um, right, if you buy, okay, <laughs> okay, fine. What are a few of them, and then the other? A others? few of them. Yeah. Okay, a few of them. Um. So one of them is to ask yourself whether what you're about to say or ask is based on a stereotype or assumption about a marginalized group. Right. So a lot of the SAEs that we commit are based on our assuming things about people based on their demographics. So ask yourself whether what you're about to, uh, to say or ask is uh, related to a stereotype. Um, and then the other one that I really love is what I'm, what is if, if what I'm about to say or ask is unnecessarily intrusive, right? There's this idea that um, underrepresented or underappreciated groups are some kind of curiosity, like in a museum. And like, you know, you, the, the, thing, the, thing, the same thing that prompts you to want to touch a beautiful black woman's Afro you know, if you are asking uh, about someone's culture, heritage, experience, et cetera, are you just doing it because you're a looky-loo, because you're curious, because they're some kind of an object to you? Or are you genuinely trying to build some kind of sustainable, meaningful, authentic relationship with them? Because the thing about humans is we're incredibly adept at reading the subtle cues, the nonverbal, and the intentions and motivations of people. So if you are objectifying me and you really have no intention of getting to know me, then my response to your intrusive question is going to be defensive. And I'm going to seem to you like the obnoxious one because I'm responding to a simple question with an attitude, but I'm not here for your inspection. I'm not here for your education. So if there's no real genuine, you know, concern for who I am or interest in, in, in my well-being or my culture or, or anything like that, then maybe you need to keep that darn question to yourself. So be thoughtful about how you are interacting with people across these differences. Yeah. It's, it's, it's this thing that I say, people are not reflective or too reactive. We don't take mm-hmm. enough time to actually just pause and say, Hey, 
is what I'm doing uh, <laughs> actually okay? And mm-hmm. I got that. I started growing my hair out uh, like two years ago. Oh, and nice. so, yeah, so this year was the first time I had someone actually reach out to touch oh. my hair. I, now, I've had the hair thin as a kid where people made fun of it. They said, why did you yeah. grow up in this? I wrote that in the book. But this one was touching. <laughs> this one was like, I was like, oh, she's like, oh, your hair, I love it. And I was, it was just, she was patting it down. And it made me think about all the black women that have gone through that all the yep. time. Because I know that a lot of my um, uh, fellow sisters have gone through that. And so... It was interesting because I didn't know what to do in that moment because it wasn't Ooh. like someone I didn't know. I was just like, what, what is, what is happening? What the? I can't. I, so I was at an event. I can't remember who told me this, but I have adopted a strategy because I had locks for the longest time. And when people, they would generally go for the bottom of the lock. It was intrusive. But, but when the first time a white woman, older white woman, like she put her hands in, like in the, at the base of my head and like stuck her fingers and was like grazing my scalp. Yeah. And it was so intrusive. I was like, oh, this this just became creepy. So what I do now is I I like I cut my hand behind their head and go in like I'm about to make out with them. And they freak <laughs> out. And I go, oh, I'm sorry. I thought I thought we'd achieved some new level of intimacy. You were touching my body. And it's like it's I am such a jerk. <laughs> but it is great. It is so great when someone reaches out to touch my head. Like I just go in and I just, you know, I'm an actor. So I go in with that. We go in with the bedroom eye, just like hand at the back of their head. And woo, the way that they recoil, I'm like, wait, I thought we had landed at some new place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm just not going to do that. If that happens I know, to me. I know. It just won't be the same coming from you. It would not be the same. <laughs> we'd be like, did you just see that guy? What was he? What was he? In fact, I think people would change. We're like, are you okay? Are Why you was okay? his tongue out of his mouth? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly wow. what I do. I, t- I stick my tongue out my mouth too. I just go for the whole dramatic effect. It's terrible. Uh, but yes, uh, for those yeah. of you in the back, please stop touching our hair. Yes. Yes. Uh, so that's that's one of the reasons I brought it up, because sometimes, yes, it does appear like it's a compliment. But if you're asking yourself no. that question, think about it yourself. You wouldn't want your hair to just randomly be touched. So then why would you just what's what's the instinct to just go, hey, this hair. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, uh, when people want to touch pregnant women's bellies like this yeah. is part of my body. You do <laughs> not touch bodily autonomy. We do not touch other people's bodies without their permission. It's, it's, it's so interesting how our minds, uh, you know, go sometimes. So, yes, think about it. Reflect before you you actually uh, speak. And so mm-hmm. that will take a lot of things. All right. Inclusion, exclusion. We've been in this industry enough to hear the retort, right? The mm-hmm. how does this affect my bottom line? How can I measure this? What is the what you know, what are these feelings? These things seem woo. woo. So is there mm-hmm. an effect that this has on the bottom line? And how can we? measure that if we can in COVID-19 now that yeah. you can't even see the people that you're Oh, you're yeah. So, I mean, our, our business is, you know, our business is booming at the moment because the, all of the, the reasons for diversity, equity, and inclusion are, you know, this stuff is, is even more amplified now because the pandemic is laying bare all of our failures as a society. So everything that, that was, existing before around disparity is only more, you know, exacerbated now. So 
what we know with with the subtle acts of exclusion is that you know this is we have people who leave their jobs who leave their companies all the time in their exit interviews they will tell you that they felt disrespected they will tell you that in a thousand subtle ways every day they felt like they weren't appreciated and the notion of the subtle act of exclusion while people are don't name them that yet maybe they will one day but the microaggressions the small little subtle discriminations um you know the the you know, the examples of bias, et cetera, are exactly the kind of thing that cause people to lose valuable talent. People go to places where they feel like they're going to be respected and appreciated more. So I love that our industry has a bigger focus on this idea of belonging right now, because that's, that's, you know, takes it beyond diversity, just the bodies in the room, inclusion, how are we inviting people into the room, equity, is everyone able to get the tools that they need to be successful equally across the board? Um, and belonging is like, do I, do I feel like I'm really valued? Like, like I have a place here and I matter. And if you are in an environment where people are allowed to, you know, subtly disrespect each other on a continual basis, that does not create a sense of belonging. And where that happens, it erodes morale. And when you erode morale, you erode productivity. And when you erode productivity, you erode the bottom line. So these things are absolutely quantifiable. You know, while direct causation is not the easiest thing in the world to prove, we do know that when you're getting this right and you're doing this well, you have a tendency to have much greater, um, you know, sort of greater interactions on teams, better satisfaction with your work groups, with your, um, you know, with all of the different indicators of of wellness on the within the organization, these things contribute in a meaningful way to a good workplace environment. Yeah, no, that's well said. I can can agree more, and, and that's the point. Everyone right now is probably experiencing some sort of you know confusion, some sort mm-hmm. of figuring out how to deal with uh, overwhelm, and mm-hmm. what's happening, what's being lost right now is you forget to check in with your. Mm-hmm teammates, your colleagues, Mm -hmm. your humans. And that's because you have this added responsibility of being, if you're a parent, you now, you're now like the home tutor. You're also doing the daycare thing. And then you have a a random meeting that you normally would have had someone else help out with. And so the idea of making someone feel like they belong has never been more important. The idea of empathy, grace, you know, inclusion, and making sure that you don't lose sight of that has never been more important because that's going to ultimately affect your company culture. And we are in a new normal. This isn't like, a, you know, pandemic just hit and we're going to go back to the old ways. No, no it's, going to be, it's going to be different. Like some people will be trickling back down to the, you know, to the to the real world, I guess, when they get in there, because some people will be scared in different degrees. Right? Some states are opening up, some aren't opening up. That's how it's going to be in the workplace. Some people will be yeah. like, ah, I don't know if I want to. <laughs> don't be around risk. you people. Mm-mm. Yeah, I don't know about that. And then other people will just get used to the idea of being, you know, at home. They're like, hey, this is better. So exactly. just be ready. Be ready. Huh. Mm-hmm. I love this. This is so good. Uh, this is so good. You're always so good on, uh, on interviews. Um, okay. Where can people find the book? And then I want to get into some creative pursuits with you. So uh, Barrett Kohler is our publisher, distributed by Penguin Random House. So since they're the biggest distributor in the world, it's really available everywhere books are sold. So if you prefer to shop local, even if your local bookshops don't have it in stock, they can still get it. And like our local bookshops here in Richmond, Virginia are shipping. So you can, you don't have to go get them. You can get them online. And if you're still supporting things like Amazon, it's certainly available there. 
There's a website, uh, subtleactsofexclusion.com, that has links to various uh, various sources that you can get the book. It is available as an audio book. It is available on Kindle. But again, everywhere books are sold. Did you just say uh, if you're still supporting things like Amazon? Is that, is that, is that what yeah, you said? Yeah, some, there, I mean, there's some pretty substantial Amazon boycotts out there. So uh, I know a lot yeah. of people who refuse to, to buy Amazon. And you yeah. know, I think that's probably harder and harder right now because you can't go anywhere. But um, I respect people for, you know, particularly since it's uh, workplace stuff, people are, are uh, boycotting because they don't like the way that people are being treated. So I definitely respect that. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. shopping local yeah. right now is more important than ever because, you know, the huge, huge retailers like Amazon's doing better than ever, whereas local bookstores and local sellers of all types are at risk of completely going out of business. So if we can get them from local bookstores, that is actually a way to help during this crisis. Yeah, that's true. That's true. We'll make sure we, uh, you know, you click on the links and support your local bookstores because, we all need it, and yep. they need it too. So, um, speaking of local bookstores, I'm a creative, but I have marveled by your creative exploits because I love comics, I love graphics, I love <laughs> poetry. Poetry is actually what got me into writing. I've been writing poems since I was 15. Oh. But since talking to you, especially <laughs> before, before the interview, uh, you were telling me that you just, you know, you have this random burst of creativities and you're like, yep, I'm doing a graphic novel that's going to be good. I'll poem and love poem. I feel like the world needs love. What are, what things can you tell us creatives who are sometimes struggling to put content out there? Because you do not struggle with this. You have an idea and you express it and bam, it's out there in some yeah. form. Yeah, I don't, um, I don't spend a lot of time in self-doubt. What I recognize is that, I mean, I, I used to, when I was much younger, I used to worry because I felt like God gave me so many gifts and I feel like, you know, the only sin is to not use your gifts and to fail to love. Right. And so when you're given so many gifts, it's like, how can I give all my energy to them? Well, I can't give all my energy to the gifts, all the gifts at the same time. But when I do have a you know moment of inspiration or a moment of creativity, I lean into it. I don't lean away from it. And I recognize that our gifts and our talents really are gifts of spirit. And I believe that every single one of us is here with a very specific set of or a very specific divine purpose. Our, our collective story, our human story cannot be completed until you get out there and share the thing that you were designed to share with all of us. And so I remember that and I hold that very dear. Like I just, after I wrote Subtle Acts of Exclusion, um, it was during the 2019, I was, do, I was book touring for my previous book, actually, for, um, oh, which one was that? Erasing, no, was it the, no, that wasn't Erasing. B Corp? It was the B Corp, B Corp handbook, yeah. right. So I'm book touring for the B Corp handbook and I did, I clocked, um, I went around the world twice. So I was traveling 90% of the time. I went around the earth twice and I found myself writing love poetry at 30,000 feet, right? I just kept writing. Every time I got in the air, I, did, I wrote love poetry. And after I accumulated like hundreds of poems, I decided that I was going to go ahead and just put these out in, in, a, in, a, in a book form. And most of them are actually written uh, inspired by my muses, inspired by people I love. And I love the whole entire world. I'm a very loving being. Now, my poetry is really not that good. 
I can just tell you that right now. My poetry <laughs> is not that good. My oil paintings, my paintings, my art is good. My, my work is good. Some other things, my, my poetry is, you know, I'd say it's a one step above mediocre, but it is an authentic expression of my soul. It is an authentic expression of my love and it is an authentic creative outlet for me. So rather than actually seek out a publisher for that, um, because now we're in this crisis, I decided that the world needed, um, you know, needed some love. So I, I did a Kindle Direct publishing release. It's the Mile High Poetry Club Long Distance Love Poems. <laughs> I'm actually like reading one every other day on my, um, on my IG stories. Um, but I just put it out there because I know that as creatives, that's what we need to do. We need to put things out. And we spend a lot of time criticizing ourselves and, and refusing to put out things if they're not perfect or just right. And perfect is the enemy of the good. So uh, I just say to the creatives, keep, keep going. It's like Dory, right? Keep swimming. Keep creating. Because how many great artists did we not find out were great until after they were dead? And we went back and looked at the accumulation of everything that they had done. No artist makes fantastic art 100% of the time. In fact, most of the time we make eh, pretty okay art, but it is through the volume and it is through the discipline of continuing to create that the masterpieces are eventually formed and we don't get to be the judge of where that masterpiece lies. So you're denying yourself and you're de denying spirit and you're denying all of us. If you don't just keep creating, quit judging. You don't get to be the judge of that. Your gift is to put the dang thing out there Stop judging it and put it out. Well said. Well said. Stop judging it and put the dang thing out. All right. That's right. That's, That's right. <laughs> That's doctor's orders right there. That's from Dr. Janet. Dr. <laughs> Janet. Well, I, I cannot thank you enough. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I, I know I've asked you this question multiple times, but maybe the answer has changed. Last question is, how do you use your difference to make a difference? <laughs> uh, well... Now I am identifying as an awareness artist and a pleasure activist. So my awareness artistry is about using every available medium to create an embrace of humankind with arms wide enough to leave no one out. So that's one of them. And then pleasure activism is actually a creation of Adrian Marie Brown, beautiful biracial author, poet. Oh my gosh, she's so inspirational. Um, but pleasure activism is about liberation through joy. So I am a love seeking vessel. I am filled with joy. I cultivate my energy in service of love and joy. And I am liberating people's minds and hearts and trying to actually, you know, abolish prisons and liberate bodies through joy and the principles of pleasure activism. And she said her poetry is just a step above mediocre. <laughs> All right. All right. I mean, I, I just asked one question and you were like, and the seas and the river flow through me. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> thank you so much. I, I really, I really appreciate you spending time with us. And um, ladies, gentlemen, and gender non-binary individuals, till next time, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.